You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hi, everybody. My name is Stacy Sloan, and I've never had a bad day in my life. My dad has never had a bad day in his life. Uh, it's just me today with Jason Tracy back from last week. My dad is having a great day because he flew down to Miami this morning and is going to be in uh, Miami for the weekend. So that is why I'm here without him. And I was really excited that Jason could still be here with me. Otherwise, it would be a whole hour of <laughs> me trying to figure out what I was going to talk about. So we're going to do a little continuation of what we talked about uh, last week and a little bit about what's going on today in the world with the coronavirus, which everybody's really anxious about, really nervous about. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll talk a little bit about that, too. Before we started, Jason and I were talking about how, you know, everybody's anxieties are running high. I had gone to the bank. I wanted to pay a vendor with cash to get a, a discount. And they limited the amount of cash that I could withdraw from the bank, which I was surprised by, a little disappointed by. Um, and you're hearing the reports that people are going to Kroger and other grocery stores and the stores are bare and the shelves are empty and and all of this hysteria. The schools are closed and all of the events and concerts and tours and all these things are canceled. And it makes people feel really maybe a little bit alone. Disappointed. I think disappointed is a word that constantly comes to my mind and a lot of things are just happening. You know, I'm a big sports guy like we were talking about. And so you look at how life is being disrupted and mm -hmm. the things that we turn comfort to when we have bad times are now starting to right. – those are starting to go away. And so I think when, when we're doing shows like this – when when you have a certain perspective and you can be adjusted and understand, okay, this is going to happen in kind of even the theory of your guys' show, I've never had a bad day in my life, having that mental attitude that, of course, you have a bad day, bad things happen, however, you can determine your day and, and what is what is going on. And so when we have that adjusted perspective, it's kind of our duty to go out there and produce content like that and keep people moving and be that beacon of light, so to speak, that we can get through this, and this is not the end of the world. Right. And if it was the end of the world, guess what? It's, it's happening. the end of the world. It's happening. <laughs> this is right? what's happening. This is where we are. And I think that that's that level of acceptance that I'm always trying to orient myself and other people to, you know, when something is happening that makes you feel upset and when something is happening that either makes you angry or stressed out or whatever hurt, um, whatever the thing might be, this is where we are. Mm -hmm. This is what's happening. So – Feeling a certain way about it does not make it unhappen. It doesn't make it unscrewed up. It just means that this is where we are. This is what's going on. And now this is what matters. And um, I don't know if you and I have ever really had a chance to talk about this before, but um, your story last week about the way that you grew up mm -hmm. and the experience that you had with your dad, there's a, a not a similar experience, but um, – a childhood uh, incident that I had um, that maybe we'll talk about if we have time, maybe we won't. But I was listening to your story and I was just so happy and so inspired to know that 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 you're having that experience as um, as a good experience. It's not that, you know, you grew mm -hmm. up in this abusive home and your dad ruined your life and yeah. he ruined the lives of all these other people. And and that's the story. That's the suffering. The, the story is the suffering. And 
when I think people can get to this place and say it doesn't matter what happened. And I've said this for years after I did the work that I had to do. It doesn't matter what any single person does. Yeah. It only matters what you do. What you do. Right. It's, and, and I've almost had arguments with people about this, right? Because people will say, well, Hitler, well, this awful thing over here, you're saying that that doesn't matter. You're missing the essence of what I'm saying. It really does not matter what any other person does. It does not matter because they did it. And you, by suffering from it and daily choosing to suffer from it, does not make it unhappen. What happened to me in my childhood, what happened to you in your childhood, happened in our childhood. Mm-hmm. It's not repeatedly happening now. Yes. It, but some people do hold that into where it is repeatedly happening to them every single day. Yes. We have the power to give that away. Mm-hmm. And Don Miguel Ruiz talks about that in The Four Agreements, about how there's this cultural um, agreement. Well, we have a lot of cultural agreements. But one of the things that he talks about is that the human creature is the only, quote, animal or creature that pays over and over and over again for the same mistake. Hmm. And the way that he's putting it is, you know, he's framing it in the idea that maybe you made a mistake and you punish yourself over and over and over for it. You made a choice that you regret and you punish yourself over. There are so many things that, you know, it was not a choice that you made to be abused by your father. Yeah. But it was an instant that you could have punished yourself or paid for that mistake with your happiness, with your freedom, with your future, with all of these things paid for it over and over again. Well, and really, quite frankly, it's easier to do that. (laughs) You know, like it's easier to say I'm this way because of this. You know, I do this because of this. And I've been there and we've talked about going through that victim mentality, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't you have to ask yourself, what is this doing for me? You know, right. and, and then if that person, like my, like my dad, really, you know, in 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 desired to have all this long term harm on me, I don't think that he was necessarily thinking about the long term of it. I think he was just proactive in his emotions, mm-hmm. you know, like or reactive into his emotions, not sure. proactive. But think life was just kind of happening to him, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't think he had necessarily the forethought of what was going to happen down the road in in my life, but. Let's say he did. Right. Let's say he did have that mindset that I'm going to damage him for the rest of his life. If I, The more I think about it, the more I allow him to win. Oh, yeah. It, and it just keeps happening. It's just the cycle that keeps happening. When you say that it's almost easier to let yourself keep paying for that thing or that mistake over and over again. I've also said for years, my life was a lot easier and a lot more fun when I was completely screwed up. <laughs> so, be, And that's not usually the word that I use for it. So I was completely effed up. My life was way easier in certain respects. Yeah. right? So when I say that tongue in cheek, yeah. my life was actually very difficult because when you're living life and mm-hmm. suffering, you are it is very difficult but in terms of um, how it feels to move through the day there's an element of ease to that because you're not operating from your higher consciousness you're operating from this sort of default mode and it's really easy and it's this programmed behavior that you've adopted and then became an expert at so when you become an expert at being something, it's it's really a lot easier than trying to do something else, right? And so when you say that it's a lot easier to do that, in some ways it really is. And when you start to get your shit together and you start to really change the way that you see the world, that's when it's hard, right? Like that's when it it gets a lot harder before it gets a lot easier. And it I can't really I can't even want to think about going back to the way that I used to be. 
right? It's just so it's so painful to think about that. And you you kind of hit on something like and just even changing that perspective and getting around other people that are on that same wavelength. And there are out there there's so much cynicism there's so much there are bad people there is a lot of negativity and if you focus on that you're gonna find you're gonna find it everywhere you turn oh yeah yeah you're gonna start interpreting and seeing all the negative i'm really fortunate me and me and my wife gracie went to breakfast with an amazing group of people yesterday morning and you know with all this chaos going on and everybody's starting to get worried you start to wonder when you get with your social groups how many people are you going to meet up with that are like totally freaked out mm-hmm. and are totally those really you know um they're buying up all the toilet paper and right. all the hand, hand sanitizer right now and these people were just as positive and you know about about it as we were and just in that same mindset so we were talking a little bit before um, before we started. I really believe that in this time of chaos, because life is disrupted right now. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is just like you said, this is what it is. We can't change it. You know, um, things are happening. I love the, I love basketball. I love NCAA. Cash Winston from Michigan State's my guy. I've watched him all four years. He's had a tragic story this oh, whole yeah. season, you know, mm-hmm. with, with what he's had to handle off the court. Right. And then just his senior year just ends. And I don't know if he would have won the NCAA championship. You know, I don't know what would have happened and how that story would have unfolded, but he doesn't even get that chance. Sure. You know, and so for me as a fan, that is so unfair and it can be really disrupting to your life. Mm-hmm. However, if this is not the end of the world, then we still got to learn how to survive. We right. still got to pick it up. We can't just board ourselves up in the house and, you know, and and, and just curl ourselves up in a ball and and give up and so for me for you for the people that we're out there and and we understand that we do have a choice we do have that attitude it's our duty to do things like these podcasts to put as much content out there to talk to people um to walk them through this this opportunity to to disrupt the disruption Mm -hmm. and to that point so what had happened the childhood experience that i'm talking about is something that i'm i'm very open with with people that i meet and i'm very open about this for the exact reason that you just sort of alluded to that when something bad happens you can curl up and you can be afraid and you can live your whole life operating from fear and have these behaviors that you exhibit because you're operating from this place of fear and you're known for that. Mm. And it sort of fits the stereotype. And what had happened to me was that when I was six years old, I was raped by an extended family member. Mm. And um, I didn't talk about that for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't remember that it happened. So I was fully conscious of the fact that it happened. It wasn't like I had suppressed it and that one day it reemerged. The way that I describe it is that every day of my life, it would be like this door opened and the the thing, the problem that I needed to confront would be standing there and I would shut the door and say, not today. And then the next day it would knock and I would open mm. the door. And it would every be there. day. Yeah, because your life is an invitation, right? Yeah. So all the things that screw you up are an invitation for you to address and to fix, even if they're not your fault. And so every day I would slam this door because I just didn't want to deal with it mm-hmm. and uh, didn't know how to deal with it. You're six years knew. old. No, nobody knew. And um, and to add kind of um, a layer onto that, because when you're you're a child, you know, I'm just barely in first grade, right? Um, what you'll believe, mm-hmm. it, you'll believe anything. You believe there's monsters under your bed, right? Yeah. So um, this person, this extended family member had told me that my parents knew and that no one cared. And so that creates a story, right? So yep. that was my story for my whole life. Nobody cared. Nobody loved me enough to care. And and that was not true. My parents had absolutely no idea. 
And one day when I was 31 years old, I kept it to myself. I had finally decided it wasn't even a conscious choice. I was actually uh, talking to my mom one day in the car. We were in the parking lot of Outback Steakhouse at mm. Beck Road and Grand River. And she was talking about something about the way that she grew up. And I just felt like coming up from inside me, oh, my God, I'm going to tell her. And I didn't want to tell her, right, because I've yeah. not been telling anybody for 25 years about this thing that happened. And it was completely involuntary. I just opened my mouth and how I how I framed it was, well, I'm going to tell you something that's going to ruin your night. Oh. And that's exactly what I said. I've got the goosebumps. Right. And, um, and from that point, my life was completely different. Because I was able to finally tell the truth, and I was, and it it was ugly, not because of the way that she responded. She thankfully believed me. Mm-hmm. My dad believed me, so there was never this uh, matter of you know I had to to prove that it happened. Um, but when I say it got worse before it got better, you have to do the work then. Mm-hmm. Now you open the door. Yep. The life lesson is there. The invitation is there, and now you have to do the work, and it's really hard. And when I started doing the work. I realized this is something that I don't want to keep to myself because I don't have anything to feel badly about here. And yeah. if the if the story about people who survive um, physical abuse or people who survive sexual abuse or whatever bad thing in in those that track the narrative, well, that person's screwed up. Mm-hmm. That person's a bad basket case. That person's emotionally unregulated. And I didn't want to perpetuate that story because I thought, you know, if I can get past this, if this is something that I can work on, I can help other people by owning it, by learning from it, by not hiding from it and moving on and having a great life. And that's to me, that's the invitation. And so, you know, it's one of those things that I'm super open about talking about it because I don't feel badly about it. It doesn't bother me. So when you can kind of harness that. Um, I think that's not the first step, but it's one of the earlier steps. This is what happened. This is where we are. So what are we going to do with it? And, and you're so right because like the things that we've that we don't want to go through, the things that we're the most ashamed of or we don't deal with or those issues that we don't think anybody else is going through it. There are other people going through it mm-hmm. and because you've been through it and because you've been able to. I kind of get this visual. You talk about the door, and as you were talking, I pictured like uh, one of those cartoons when everything's packed in the closet, right? And then you open the door, and everything <laughs> falls out, or like yeah. the door f- comes flying open because so many things are packed in. Mm-hmm. I felt like when you're as you're in that car with your mom, all of a that door came flying open, oh, and all yeah. the stuff came unpacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as that door starts unpacking, and you start dealing with it, you walk, you figure out how to heal yourself, mm-hmm. and continue to heal yourself. And then you can help other people that are in that same journey. They right. think they're going through it all by themselves. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that has um, validated that I was instinctively right about trying to make that my intention was that almost every single time, I would say nine out of ten times that I have said that to somebody, mm-hmm. they have said back to me, you know what, that happened to me too. And not not that they were raped, but they were molested. They were touched inappropriately. They were, you know, they had some type of childhood sexual abuse yeah. that 
um, that they didn't feel comfortable talking about because there's the stigma of shame that if this has happened to you, there's no way you could be a, a normal person, a productive member of society because how could you get past something like that? Yeah. Um, how are you not in the sex trade? How are you not an alcoholic? How are you not using drugs and, and all of those things? And that was been, that's been one of the most rewarding things is that, um, it, it provided an opportunity for somebody else to say, I didn't know it was okay to talk about this. Absolutely. And I don't know if you found that to be the, you know, your situation no. is different, well, it, it's, but uh, similar. It's, it's very similar. And that's what I'll have people that either come up to me after I get done giving my presentation or after I get done speaking and, and, uh, or they'll reach out to me on social media or they'll send me messages that I thought I was alone. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And every one of them, I'm like, if I know that wherever I go talk, that one person heard that message, one person can get past some of their baggage and the things that have happened to them, feel comfortable about talking about it, start the, the steps to opening up that door and starting to heal themselves. It's worth it for me to go tell that story a thousand mm -hmm. times over. And those are stories that just like you, I, I felt so guarded about and I did not I, like I would have protected with the life of me. And right. Not, not tell. Right. So I'm curious to know, because you alluded to this last week and we didn't have time to talk about it, but you talked about how you felt badly for your dad, mm. that he must have been in so much pain. He drove into his garage, he closed the door, and he decided to end his life yeah. by basically uh, suffocating himself. And um, what what was it that helped you to get to the place? Was it just a a journey just a slow adoption of mindset that helped you to see that this these were the actions of someone in pain because i have a so your story prompted me to talk about this this week okay um but i want i want you to talk a little bit about how you got to the place where you could say wow this person was just in a lot of pain yeah um, it, it was, it was like what you, what you talked about and unpacking my own stuff, starting to realize that it wasn't my fault, starting to understand, you know, my thoughts, my feelings, my role in, in the whole situation, doing that whole healing for myself and getting past it and understanding that if I hold myself, if I dwell on this, if I constantly say I'm this way because of this, I'm this, you know, because of, because of this happened, because he did this, I'm going to, I do this. And if I keep doing that, what, what am I going to get out of it? I started questioning myself. Where am I, where am I going to be at in life? Am I going to start creating the things that I want to create mm -hmm. or will I start getting the things that I don't want? And mm -hmm. then make the easy excuse and blame it off because of this. And so as I started being able to heal myself, uh, and go through that process, I then started looking at things a little bit differently to understand, I guess. And, you know, again, this is someone that had two amazing kids mm -hmm. that he had no relationship with. As I started looking at those kind of things, like literally he, he went into this garage and ended his life and, and didn't feel like he had anything that he was, he wasn't worth anything, mm -hmm. you know. But if you, if you sit and you look at, Wow, just just think if he would have this relationship, he had two amazing sons that that's that's a huge life in itself in itself. Mm -hmm. What I would do for my own son, 
the happiness that I have that just one son that I have brings to me, I couldn't imagine that by two. And then knowing right. how great of a guy my brother is, like how much I, I love and enjoy being around him and what he's able to been able to turn himself around. You know, we both take ex- extreme amount of pride of being able to reverse our family circumstances to go mm-hmm. out there and, and be successful in spite of the circumstances. And uh, and so to to be around that, I mean. I know how proud my mom is. Could you imagine, like, I couldn't imagine being my dad and being like, wow, I had a part of that, if that would have been the been the case. Mm-hmm. Instead, he had to go and end his life because it wasn't the case. And how sad did that, that have to be? Mm-hmm. And you know what? I get this opportunity to continue to live and build my own life, and he doesn't. Right, right. I'm not the victim. No. No, not at all. When you talk about working on yourself, because that can take so many forms <laughs> – for so many different people, right? And um, I'm a little embarrassed to say, but I I do always tell the truth, so I'll tell the truth on myself. Um, I used to believe that because I did hard time in therapy, I call it hard time, yep. I went for two hours a week, twice a week, trying to solve this problem for myself for five years. I did that, and it was important to me. And because, I, because that worked for me, mm-hmm. and I did other things outside of therapy – but because that worked for me, I felt like, well, you've got to go to therapy. You've got to find a good therapist. If you don't find a good one, you got to go through 25 of them to find a good one because mm-hmm. I had to go through several before I found somebody who could really work with me and help me address what I needed to address. But now, you know, several years later, I realize, you know, you don't have to do that, right? Because every person's development is going to be different than somebody else's. Yeah. So when you say you worked on it, what were some of the things that you did to work on it? Well, and that's key. And I'm glad you brought up the therapy piece because there is a lot of stigma around, you know, oh, I can't go talk to somebody and that makes me weak. And I think that is a lot of why in our society, I had a client this morning, and this is a really good example, that messaged me and told me that all the reasons, and don't get me wrong, on top of the coronavirus and all these (laughs) different worries, there's a lot going on in her life that was really disrupting. And, uh, you know, there's some physical pain that is legit and some different things that, you know, that are happening, losing money in the stock market. And she and her basement was leaking and all these different things were happening. And she was like, I don't want to bring you down today. Mm. I'm like, that's. That's why you have a coach. I'm the unbiased, unemotional sounding board for you to be able to launch on because this is what happens when you don't. You Mm -hmm. take it on yourself. Right. It has to go somewhere. Yeah. She's thinking about me. Right. She's like, I don't want to unload my problems to you and bring you down. And I'm her paid. She pays me to coach her. Right. Like, what are people thinking about with I'm not going to bring my family down? You know, oh, my mom, she's had a tough time. I don't want to tell her about my problems. Oh, my dad, like he, you know, he has these things going on. Work just got tough. I can't tell him about what happened when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so then we're in our head. Right. And when we're in our head and we're not releasing those those conversations, our conversations get dark. Yes. Our conversations can get very dark. And when we're trapped in that prison in our head, it, there's only there's only you can only go down. Mm-hmm. You can only go down the negative rabbit hole. And it's very hard to get out of that. And if you continue doing it, it's you build a lifestyle of calluses. You've got to bust through in order to then feel comfortable to have that conversation out. So I'm very fortunate that as we started our healing process, my mom got me into therapy. Good. And 
I found three good therapists. <laughs> <laughs> so the first guy we met uh, was awesome. His name was Dana. And uh, as we were going through the conversation, uh, he was like, well, let me bring your mom into group therapy. And, you know, and, um, and then we can kind of talk things out. And as he was talking to my mom, he was like, hey, I'm going to recommend you to somebody else. I want to take over your mom because I think I'm a really good fit for her. So as a kid, I'm like, okay, my therapist just gave me up and took my mom. Right. But this, it was really funny. But so it was a good fit for them. He recommended me to this guy, Dave. And Dave was a former Marine. Like, again, for somebody like myself that didn't have a good, strong, positive role model, my grandpa had passed away and my father was this, you know, this piece of work. And so I'm, I'm meeting up with this guy, the former Marine, shaved head. He'd got this, you know, like really, but he was soft and caring. And he listened to me. And when my dad tried to run me over with the car, he was the person that I went back to. So I'm literally walking home from my therapy appointment. And my dad, who always stalked around our house, yeah. he literally saw me. I was walking down the street in the middle of the road. Uh, but it was like downtown, like we're walking to the house. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I see this car peeling out of nowhere. And he's literally oh aiming for me. And so I went back to my therapist and he literally walked me home, you know, wow. and, and had my back. And so that was going really good. And then he got transferred to another area. So he got transferred the, to another area and we weren't driving. I think it was out in Lansing, which was 40 minutes back then for us. That was a long ways. And, uh, and so he referred me to another night guy named Greg that he was buddies with another military guy. And I built a really good relationship. And I think what, one, they listened, but mm-hmm. they helped me instill a lot of confidence because I saw how men should act. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that was another build of self-confidence for me that I have this. I, I didn't know what it was until much later in my life, but I have something about me that is able to build relationships stronger than everybody else. I mean, my counselor and the, my therapist literally, and this sound, may sound crazy because I don't know how many therapists in the world have done this or even thinking about it back now. Like my mom must have been crazy to even let this happen, even though this was all a good situation, positive situation. My therapist took me to Washington, D.C. with him. Oh, wow. Literally, he was going to go to Washington, D.C. It was We had talked a lot. We were both history buffs, and he was like, if your mom would think it's okay, he was like, I would love to take you on vacation. And so he literally took me on my first out of state vacation. Mm-hmm. So out, cool. outside of Cedar Point, like, right. you know, we, like Cedar Point was the furthest thing that we had traveled to. So he literally, we, we went down to Washington, D.C. He, I learned how to drive a stick shift car because mm-hmm. he would take me out uh, after our sessions and teach me how to drive a stick shift. Right. You know, so literally these therapists became like father figures for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they took Greg, the, the last guy there that uh, took me to Washington, D.C. He also took me and my brother to Cedar Point. You know, so like just different things. They were really cool, really positive aspects that that really changed my outlook on life, really helped me start adjusting and dealing with with those issues. So that was the ground layer of work. I'm sure if years passed by without getting that, because that was day one, like seventh grade, we moved to a new city, new town or new town, uh, moved into this new apartment and uh, which was 30 minutes away from where my dad lived, where I where I was growing up before that. And uh, and then, you know, so new school, new environment. I got into football and so I got into sports. I got introduced to a new group of kids and I started to be able to rebuild myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's like all work because it wasn't like all of a sudden, boom, things are better. I struggled. Right. And then I got into the wrong crowd and, you know, yeah. some, some diff- different things. But it, so it, it takes a while. But that first layer in talking about therapy, it, it's, it's, it's where it started. That's cool. I, I love to hear people identify the thing that really helped them because some people don't go the therapy route at all and they end up kind of in the same place where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, a lot of um, yoga and meditation and, and thought leaders, Deepak Chopra and mm-hmm. Yama Van Zant and 
Wayne Dwyer and and all those people. Um, once I started um, doing yoga and I was doing that in conjunction with therapy, um, that was that was very helpful to me. And I would just constantly take in all of these books and all of these podcasts um, about you know truth and about finding your authentic self and. And really just making this active choice to come into a place of acceptance and moving forward. When you talked about last week when you showed up to your dad's funeral because you just wanted to see <laughs> that he was really dead. So this person who had assaulted me, he also is no longer living and he died when I was um, – I was at Schoolcraft, so I was like a sophomore, maybe a freshman in college. And I remember exactly where I was when my mom called me to tell me that this person had passed away. And, and at that time, know. she didn't know. So I, I, But I remember everything about it. I remember what the sky looked like. I remember mm. where I was. I was mm -hmm. in Canton driving my car. <laughs> and um, I, what, so what's different, though, is that I did not go to the funeral. Because, again, it was like the door. I wasn't ready mm. to have the door be opened and, and deal with the stuff. Um, and it took me a long time. You know, then we're talking about like 10 years then. So if I'm 20 in college and I'm not saying anything about it, I didn't say anything till I was 31. So there were quite a few years there that um, I was not well and I was not doing well. And I would love to say that um, the reason that this came about, my my profound healing <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> of self uh, came because I was sick of my own bullshit. But it was not that. It was because uh, two very good friends of mine from culinary school basically gave me an intervention. And I not because I was using drugs or alcohol, but it was an anger intervention. Mm. And um, they came to me. Uh, well, and they had talked to each other prior to. And then one of them came to me and said, we're really worried about you. You're so angry. And I was. I was so angry. And if you think about the people who have um, trauma, you mm -hmm. know, uh, Russell Brand likes to say that the real gateway drug is trauma. <laughs> yeah. Right? Trauma is the true <laughs> gateway crazy. drug. Yeah. And my so my drug of choice was anger. Mm -hmm. I was incredibly angry. And it's really easy to be angry. And when you're angry, it keeps everybody away from you. Nobody thinks about messing with you. It's a very effective tool, and it's incredibly addictive because mm -hmm. it gives you a lot of power. And um, it was not until th my friend Reva came to me and said, I, I don't know what you're going to do, but you've got to do something. You've got to get some help. And what's beautiful about that to me is that I wouldn't have heard that or received that from any other person. Uh, if anybody else, inside, I mean, I'm yeah. sure I had a million people telling me that I was acting like an asshole, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and and probably not to my face because they were too afraid to say that to my face. But um, you're acting to, kind of aggressive. Uh, yes. Am like, I? No. <laughs> not <bad>. at all. <laughs> so it was, you know, a big deal that this person who has known me for so long, who I really respected and that I really trusted. I couldn't have heard that from anybody yeah. else. And thankfully, because of her. I was able to say, okay, well, if, if this person is really saying this to me, then there's something that I need to look at. And I wasn't happy about it, but I knew I needed to look at it. And it was kind of then where I, I got myself into therapy and and that was a bumpy experience, right? Like I, I did not really enjoy going <laughs> to yeah. therapy to talk about it. And I didn't talk about it for a long time. And my therapist, she actually called me out on the very first time I talked to her on the phone. And I said, that's not why I called you. 
I called you because of this, this, and this. So you're either going to treat me for this or I'm going to find somebody else who will. And she was very good. She said, okay, no problem. I'll see you on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. And I went and she never brought it up again. She didn't bring it up until I was ready to talk about it. Uh-huh. And it took me two years to talk about it. I, so I saw her for other things. You know, the, the, the thing that I thought was like really the problem, right? The, let, me, let me talk about all the other things that are not the problem. For two years, I've got plenty of material. And then finally, I just got to the place where I thought I've got to talk about this because this is really – What's going on? This so did you really run out of material happening. or did you just start realizing that? I think I, I think it was that I really started to realize um, that that was the root of what was going on and that it, it was time to deal with it. It was time to talk about it. And then I was mad all over again. <laughs> so like you said, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss, piss you off. off yeah. So I was so pissed that it got harder because I was like, wait a minute. My life I, – I wasn't suffering before because I didn't feel like I was suffering. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wait a minute. Now this is hard. Now you're making me really dig into this thing that I this is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. This hurts. This is bad. And um, it took me a while to get past get past that and get past the anger. I was in the anger phase because that was my drug, right? Yeah. Like it's easy to be angry. Oh, yeah. And so I was in that phase for a while and then was thankfully able to move past that. And I'm so grateful uh, that I ended up with the therapist that I ended up with. She was amazing. She retired. And shortly after she retired, I had gone out of town with a boyfriend that I had at the time. And he what he is a World War II buff. He just loves World War II. We were in Chicago. And I said, hey, we've got a down day. Why don't we go over to the Museum of Science and Industry? They have that captured U-boat. And let's go see it because that's like right up your alley. You'll love it. So we went to go see it. And this person who – this family member who had assaulted me was a survivor of World War II. So that was particularly annoying, right? Yeah. And to this day, it's a little annoying to hear other family members talk about how this guy is like a, a <laughs> like hero the or... greatest generation. What a great guy. So, you know, like – but at the time, I didn't think about it, right? Because I had gone to this place where I was I was doing really well and had – Gotten to the place where I thought, you know, this is a life experience. This was my lesson. This was my opportunity. This was the invitation from the universe. So I was in a really good place. And we get to Chicago. We go see this exhibit. And I'm walking on because you can walk through the submarine. And the minute I walked up to it, I thought, oh, right. Oh, right. Like he right was there. in the Navy. Yeah. So he wasn't just um, like he wasn't like in the Army or something. He was in the Navy and he wasn't on a submarine. He was on a, a ship. But it was still that that whole theme yeah. you know, feels very familiar and it brings me back. But I I, I just noticed the thought and I, I walked through and I, I was having a good time with my boyfriend. And we got out of the submarine and when you walk out into the rest of the exhibit, they have this huge wall. I mean, the it's it's got to be 50 feet long and they had signified with like a a figure of a man that one man meant this many others he represented this many soldiers okay and the the number of people who died in world war ii was staggering right like just staggering and i'm standing there and i'm looking at all these people and i think holy shit of all the people who didn't die in World War II, like if he wouldn't have died, yeah, that never would have happened to me. Yeah, 
because it was a staggering amount of people who died. Yeah. Right. Like it was the first time that I ever really thought about the 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 massive casualties and the violence of that war. And so I had this thought like, holy shit, if he wouldn't have died or if he would have died, that wouldn't have happened to me. And that was the la- that was the thought. And I turned around and I walked away. And later on that night, I was telling him about what happened. And he said, oh, my God, Stace, I'm so sorry that happened to you. You probably thought, wow, I wish he would have died. And I said, I didn't. That's awesome. That's and so it was awesome. the first time in my life that I really felt like I had like a grip on it. Yeah. Where I was able to see and recognize like, wow, the universe is a crazy place. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. by sheer statistics, like how did he not die? But the the follow-up thought was not, well, wow, I wish that guy would have died. That, that didn't even cross my mind until he said it. And I was really excited about that. And about two years went by and I went to go see – uh, what is it came out in the summer? Um, oh, geez. I can't remember mm. the name of the movie, but it was when they were trapped on the, the beaches. Okay. And um, they so the idea I'm watching this movie in the theater and I was I don't usually watch movies like this, but the way that they were shooting this film, you get this sense of like how desperate these people must have felt to be stranded on this this beach waiting for these ships from the allied forces to come pick them up and it's ships right you're going to wait for a long time and the nazis are coming in they're bombing the people on the beaches i mean they're just sitting ducks just wow. there's nowhere to go there's no buildings there's no, they're on a beach waiting for these people and so i'm sitting there and i'm thinking that must have it's terrifying it's terrifying to watch i'm looking up the, what the movie um was and I'm watching this and I'm thinking, my God, could you just imagine how helpless you would feel to just be standing there waiting? You just you don't know. You've already made it so far. You get to maybe go home. You're waiting for this ship to come get you. And while you're waiting, you could get like plucked by one of these bombs that they're dropping from the sky. And then when you finally do get on the ship, they're torpedoing the ship. So you might have gotten onto the destroyer to go back home. But your story is not over because they could sink your ship and then you're going to drown. And there's all this water. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? My God, war is hell. Mm -hmm. War is hell. And my next thought was maybe that was what was wrong with him. Wow. Full circle. Full circle. And it was the first time that I had, I don't know if I would describe it as compassion for him, but it was the first time that I thought, I can't imagine how powerless you would feel. Yeah. Having lived through World War II. Yeah. And and I don't know that he was on, you know, in a situation like this, but even if he wasn't, the feeling of just powerlessness mm-hmm. that you are one person against such evil and such um like it's just hell on earth and if you think about people who are abusive to other people yeah. they're trying to reclaim some type of power oh absolutely they are and that and that's what that's about for them yeah and it's not about you it's coming out of fear every almost everything bad is coming out of fear yes yes and so i it was the first time that i thought maybe that's why maybe that's why he had to do that yeah 
And that for me was like a personal victory because it was the first, not that it made it okay, not that it was okay at all. But it gives you the power back. Right. Like it it gives you back the control of your life when you can do that. Yeah. Um, Somebody I was talking to, a grief specialist, uh, I was coaching her and I was telling her my story and she was like, the fact that you can tell that story out to other people means that you've healed, you Mm -hmm. know, you've moved past it or you can identify and say, the things that we're talking about, like we've literally brought ourselves outside of that situation and can unemotionally assess that situation and be like, oh, yeah, you know what? This is what he probably had going on. I'm very fortunate that I had the wherewithal to see the opportunities, you know, to, to see the people, right? Mm-hmm. So um, to, to go to the therapist and have an open mind and, and be able to trust them out of the situation that I had to be able to help rebuild, um, to open myself to a dean or to find the friend groups that I had that, that really introduced me to personal development and, you know, to be open to all these different things, um, to go out there and even on my own find those resources, whether mm-hmm. I've stumbled upon them or I've purposely sought them out you know with intention he didn't do that right he surrounded himself with people that didn't help him or mm-hmm. whatever it is maybe people did try to help him i don't i don't know right. but whatever it was was what was in his head he didn't believe it was possible he didn't have hope and so he literally went into his garage closed the door and landed his life sure yeah and it the movie was dunkirk i, dunkirk. I just looked it up and, it, and it's actually a, a really incredible story about how um People came together. And really, that's what this is all about, yeah. right? Like, yeah. people who are coming together. So, when you are somebody who has been previously traumatized and you are somebody who has this background, I think people like us are, we feel it all. Yes. Right? Because yes. it just energetically, your body and your soul feels it all. Yep. And so, that's, there's some power in that too. Right. Because then you can be the change. You can be this agent to make a difference for other people, make it OK for them to, to feel it, too. Yeah. To get out there and feel with it and, and deal with it. Um, so it's a great movie. I, I do recommend that if you if you like yeah. things like that, it is a really cool story. True story. Um, but that was the movie and the idea. And I was really excited about it. When that happened, because I I had thought I had like really done something by not wishing the guy had died. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I thought that was like the coolest, like, wow, look at all, what all my yoga and, and therapy did for me. I, I didn't wish for another sentient being to, you know, get bombed and die in a war. But um, to be able another two years later to sit there and think, wow. He must have felt really powerless. And people process that differently. Oh, yeah. You know, not everybody who feels powerless is going to go and, and beat up their family or kill no. somebody or rape a kid. That's not how that goes. But you know, the, the profound suffering and the profound pain in that. One of the discoveries something. that we're making is that out of all of that, we became the people that we are for the good. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if out of that situation, if I didn't come out of that situation, would I be the person that I am now? Right. Would I be sitting here like, Okay, this thing, this tragedy that's happening, that's disrupting our lives right now, that's sweeping the nation and causing this mass hysteria, like it's going to really affect small business owners, which is where I'm playing in. Like, one, am I going to starve? Sure. Two, how do my, how do my, how do my clients, how do my people get out of this? And right. so, you know, today is my day where I'm like calling these people up and figuring out how you're going to be the difference. How are you going to figure it out? And, you know, where are we, where are we going to go from here? Because we're going to survive this mm-hmm. and you're, you're going to come out of this and you're going to be in better situation we have to deal with it though right it's happening but now 
let's put a plan together and uh and, and keep moving forward so being able to be in that mindset and, and push you know who knows if i'd be like that if i didn't have those situations and i've said that too for years that i was glad that it happened to me like i i don't wish that it wouldn't have happened there hasn't been a there hasn't been a day that I truly, even though I was mad that it happened, I didn't wish that it would not have happened because I did believe that it it helped me to be a survivor. I was mm-hmm. I was very independent as a result of it and very resilient as a result of it because I didn't have another choice. And so to to decide that, I, okay, I am glad that this happened to me because it gives me this different perspective. Mm-hmm. I look at the world and, you know, I've said many times, there's nothing that can happen to me that is worse than that thing that already happened. So coronavirus, hurricane, yeah, whatever is the thing. And not to minimize those things. Yeah. Like people suffering, Absolutely. that suffering is is real and true to them. So people's feelings are always legitimate because that's what's real to them. Yep. And I don't mean to create some type of like hierarchy of who has more trauma than somebody else. But it gives you this perspective like, well, there's not much worse <laughs> that could happen to me because this yeah. really bad thing has already happened and I can't see it getting worse than that. I can't see it for me being yep. worse than that thing and it makes it helps me kind of snap out of it you're battle tested right you know and you survived it yeah and not only that but it made you stronger mm-hmm. well and to prove to yourself what you can go through mm-hmm. to prove to yourself that something doesn't beat you that you know you, there's a way that you were able to somehow intuitively find the solution or to at least believe that there is a solution to believe that everything is possible to believe that you are infinite possibility to believe that no matter what any other person did that it only matters what you do yes it really only matters it doesn't matter that this person raped me when i was six years old it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. cancel we want to cancel everything cancel that cancel that bullshit because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that he did that it matters yeah. that I wasn't going to let it ruin my life. And it I was on track to let it ruin my life. It was ruining my relationships. My professional life, I was very successful um, because the anger was a high – it was a motivator, mm-hmm. right? And I was mm-hmm. able to push through and, and to work a lot and be like sort of that workaholic, highly overdrive, ambitious person. But my personal life was a wreck. It was I was a wreck. And there's only so long that you can keep doing that. And yeah. so to to be able to kind of figure out that that's not the way and that's not what I want to do and go on was was a miracle. I can't take credit for it. But to be able to have that perspective that it doesn't matter what he did. He, he ruined, you know, uh, you could say how many times did that thing happen? More, you know, it was more than one time. So it wasn't like one bad day. Mm-hmm. He might own what happened on those days. Yes. But in the perspective of the rest of my life, am I really going to let him have that? It, you and can. he doesn't it's care. And, he doesn't and care. he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he did. And I think that was a big thing, too, because even after even after my dad died, I still had that feeling of hate. And that's a good point because it just kind of it kind of hit that that chord is I started realizing like for all this hate that I have, he doesn't 
he doesn't one he doesn't care right. and two he can't feel it right like he can't feel this hate inside me like mm-hmm. he can't feel the you know what i want to inflict on him he's dead right you know so shouldn't i just let it go yeah i should probably just let it go because it only hurts you yeah so one of the things that i um i hope we have time to talk about it because everybody wants to talk about forgiveness mm. right when you <laughs> have been through even something that's not traumatic but somebody has hurt you mm-hmm. they've wronged you they've done something to you and the meme is oh forgiveness forgiveness you've got to you've got to set yourself free and forgiveness is the only way to do that and what i eventually decided was i'm not going to forgive this person like my forgiving him does not mean my freedom yeah I have to forgive myself for the lies that I told myself about myself because of what he did. Mm-hmm. I don't have to forgive him. The freedom is not forgiving the person. Mm-hmm. The freedom is just like because it doesn't matter what they did. The freedom is what do I have to forgive myself for here? Yeah. And that's where the healing is because I don't believe in forgiving people who aren't sorry. <laughs> They're not sorry, so they don't care if you forgive them or not. It doesn't matter. And it would probably make them happier if, if they thought that you never forgave them because the the wound would be so deep and the power would be so strong that would just give them infinite happiness, mm-hmm. right? So to me, the power was not gained when I forgave him. I, I didn't forgive him. He wasn't sorry. He never apologized. And he wasn't sorry, and he's dead, and people think he's a war hero and whatever. Yeah. Um. Forgiveness did not heal me because I forgave him. The healing was that I forgave myself Mm -hmm. for the lies that I told myself about myself because of what he did. Mm -hmm. So all of this story about nobody is going to love me and nobody cares about what happens to me and this whole thing that was, you know, I was co-creating because I believed I was co-creating my whole life because that was my story. And to know that I had lied to myself about that and I had robbed myself. He didn't lie. He didn't rob me. Yeah. I robbed myself. He robbed me five times. Yeah. I robbed myself for 25 years. For 25 years. And to me, it was, I don't know if you've had a similar experience to that. Yeah, similar. So I've always looked at, I guess, forgiveness is such a slippery word because um, when I think of forgiveness, sometimes when you use that, it's like, oh, I have pictures up on my mantle of this person in, you know, or I will talk about them to an extent in a good way. Um, And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have love for this person. Um, Do I look at it forgiveness? Like, when I can sit and be like, okay, I understand, I guess, his circumstances and why he did that, I kind of look at that as that's kind of that I mean, that's my forgiveness. Now, let's say someone didn't die, though. Like our our people didn't die, and they're there, and we see them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think some people think that if I forgive them, that means that I have to like put myself, bring myself, and be around that person, or mm-hmm. like make myself subject to that person. No, that's not the case. Like you, you want to don't give that person power. You don't have to put yourself in those situations. But you can say, you know what, I for, I do forgive what happened. I can understand whatever they went through. And then work on forgiving yourself. Mm -hmm. Because forgiveness is not agreement. That's exactly it. Right. It's not validation of what they did. Yeah. So you're not in agreement with them and you're not validating the thing that they did. And I think some people get that a little confused. I think people confuse empathy with that too. Yes. Empathy Empathy is not agreement. Empathy and completely different. We talked about that last week. It's different. So, you know, it's one of those things that I think that people – 
there's a there's a mixed message about it or there's a wrong message about it mm. that surrounds the whole situation. So to circle back to where we started, coronavirus, the, <laughs> the world is going yeah. crazy. The yeah. bank is limiting how much money you can take out. Um, to not be afraid is, is a choice, right? It's a conscious choice, which for some people is difficult to get to that place where they know that consciously they can choose it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and so even, even think about as you walk around and have fear, as you have fear that you're going to catch it, fear literally changes your immune system. Mm-hmm. It impacts your immune system. So as right. you're walking around afraid of what's going to happen, you're more likely to catch a disease, whether right. it's the coronavirus, the flu, a cold. Um, when we when we have all that stress, that's when our when our immune systems break down. Mm-hmm. So by having a different mindset about it in realizing this is something that's happening, uh, that we can we can move forward in yeah, we have to make adjustments. Hey, right. you know, what if what if we're like Italy and we can't we can only go into our yard for ten minutes? You know, that that sucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Life is really disrupted, but if it happens, it happens. Right. And I've got to figure out how 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 we're going to survive in, in spite of that. Mm-hmm. So you make a really good point about the um, the body and the immune system and the adrenal system. And one of the things I really loved about the therapist that I saw, she talked a lot about the adrenal system. She talked a lot about the endocrine system. She talked about the pathways that we create in the brain, mm-hmm. the amygdala, the reptilian brain, the fight or flight and all of that stuff. And it's incredible what the human body can do. It's this, this is a whole other episode. Yeah, it's totally uh, I know a different. We have like seven minutes. Yeah, or whatever. What do we have? Oh, we have nine. minutes. We have or nine so. minutes. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that the body will do, yes. to protect you. Yeah. And so we sort of pile on when the, the body's trying to do a good job. The thing that your mind can do, as far as being sick, I have a, I have a few different stories on this, but I remember being sixteen years old and I was literally starting to feel sick and whatever was going on at the time. I'm like, I can't get sick, I can't get sick. And instead of saying like, I was like, okay, I, more the more I said I can't get sick, I could feel myself starting to like, <laughs> oh, sore throat. I yeah. could feel my body get aching. So it was like more the more I was just speaking that into existence, it was happening. Existence it was happening, and I kind of had this thought. I don't even know at this time of my life how I had came up with this thought, but I said I started thinking about, okay. What do I feel like when I feel good? Mm-hmm. You know, right now I'm focusing on when I feel sick and I can feel myself getting sicker. What do I feel like when I feel good? And I kind of took myself to this meditation and started imagining myself when I'm like out running, when I'm when I'm active, when my body feels good. And I just had this, I probably meditated for about 10 or 15 minutes. I didn't even know what meditation was at that point, but I was just literally in this state of, of thinking about it. And I literally didn't get sick. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but like in my life since that moment, being 16 years old, I can count on one hand the amount of times that I have been sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally coming out of Christmas, but my uh, my wife, my son, and my mom that we, I was around at Christmas time. I'm in the household of my wife and son. They have influenza B, all three of them. Very contagious. I'm literally walking around them, helping them out, aiding them all week, you know, like breathing in like their their breaths. Mm-hmm. How do I get out of that without getting sick? Right. You know, like literally I should be sick. However, 
I just, I choose mentally, and that sounds hocus pocus. It sounds hippy trippy. There'll be people that will literally call me crazy or say, well, you don't know what too. you're talking about, Jason. <laughs> they'll You'll be, be mad. super pissed. Somebody started, went on my LinkedIn yesterday because we posted a video about mental, positive mental thinking to overcome coronavirus. And this person was like, I'm going to report you and like, right. you know, report you for fake news. I can tell you that it literally, it's been my life. Mm-hmm. And on the reverse, in my early 20s, I was a horrible employee, and, uh, which is really <laughs> funny when I got into management. So in my early 20s, I was a, a horrible employee, and I had tickets to a concert, but I worked in a nursing home, and they were very strict about calling in. And so I had these tickets to a concert. I knew that I didn't couldn't work. I literally had these tickets. I was going with my friends. But I went into work. And I literally convinced myself that I was sick. I literally, I thought about being sick. I thought about the feelings of being sick. I, got, I worked myself up so much that I went in the bathroom and was vomiting. And then, because I worked in a nursing home, it's not just that, oh, I don't feel good. The sure. nurse took my temperature. And I'm like, oh, here's the moment of truth, right? Like, I'm not sick. I'm not going to have a fever. They're going to tell me just to go back to work. I had worked myself in, up in such a tizzy. I shit you not. I had a 100, 100 degree temperature. Oh, my God. They were like, yeah, you have 100. I was like, no shit. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, I know. I'm feeling horrible. They gave me a Sprite. They gave me some medication. Sprite. And, yeah, yeah. Sent you on your sent way. Me, sent me on my way. And literally, as soon as I walked out the door, I was like back into back into normal. Mm-hmm. I had literally convinced my body to be sick. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing about this, too, is that even let's say that this is just positive mindset, right? Like, let's just say that, just that, mindset, that it's not real. Yeah. That, but it's the way that you think. Doesn't that feel better? <laughs> it does. If it's a placebo, whatever it is. Right. <laughs> like it, it feels better to not feel bad. It yeah. feels better to not be scared. It feels better to be open to the idea that if you've done everything that you can do, if this is where you are, this is what's happening, and you're not going to yeah. let yourself be afraid and not let yourself be overcome, that just feels better. It feels better. It's the difference between like how it feels to be in a good mood or in at least in like a baseline like neutral mood. Yeah. As opposed to being in a bad mood or being afraid or whatever is the negative sad emotion. It it, it just feels better. So even if it's the placebo effect, mm-hmm. the idea that you can that you can do that for yourself. What can you do for yourself? If the whole point is it doesn't matter what anybody else does, it only matters what you can do. Yeah. What can you do for yourself? What can you do for yourself to keep you in a place where it feels good to be you? And I can tell you, if if you would have told me this when I was 25, I, mean, uh, I probably started doing personal development and believing a little bit by the time I was 25. If you would have told me in my early 20s, if you would have told me when I was a kid that I had the power to control, like, you know, my my environment, if I had the power to control, I was sick, I would think that you were crazy too. I was a victim most of my life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even as I was discovering these things I was talking about, I was still a victim. Right. So. I can understand people that are sick that are like, screw you. You don't know what you're talking about. That's crazy. You can't control whether you're sick. Thoughts have things. And when literally your mind is sick, you're more likely to be sick. Mm -hmm. You're more likely to find those things. Right. People that walk around and say, "I'm, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. I'm worried about being sick. End up being sick. Right. In not just like sick in the mind, but literally catch things. Right. They literally have legitimate diseases. Mm-hmm. Well, and like you said, the science is there to prove that the immune system can't handle and tolerate that amount of stress. And it's mentally stressful and it mentally fatigues you to be worried about being sick or mm-hmm. worried about having something happen to you. And this is not to say, like, don't be smart. 
you know, like keep washing your hands, Absolutely. keep living your life. Yeah. Maybe go put some gas in your car. Do you know, do the things <laughs> yeah. that you should you should do anyway. That's that's been one of the things that's been sort of cracking me up about this. I'm a chef, so we're always washing our hands, yeah. right? Like there is hand washing central. And so all of these chefs that I know are just like thoroughly disgusted at the idea that people are like hand washing. Like, what have you been doing all this time? You should always be yeah. washing your hands. You should probably always have like a full tank of gas or have whatever you can control. Control Whatever you up. can be disciplined enough to do, it's this uh, another show, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret, mm-hmm. right? Like, so if you can be disciplined to do the things that you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do them, how much better is your life? How much better do you feel? So it's not yeah. to say like, oh, power of positive mindset, coronavirus, go hide in your house and don't have any food. <laughs> That's not what we're saying. Yeah, Do the things that you would normally do. But don't yeah. don't let this whole thing derail you, because even if it even if the whole country is going to shut down, they're not going to ask you first. Yeah, <laughs> like, nobody's going to ask you if it's okay. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. But it's frustrating to hear how scary it is. It's frustrating to hear. I was listening to something just before I came in, and it was a podcast about supply chain, and and I have a product that I sell and I rely on a supply chain. And this guy says, well, you know, it's really scary. The whole world's shutting down. That's not true. true. The whole world has not shut down. Like (laughs) what is true and what is not true? And maybe I'm a little, um, I know for myself, like if you ask me, what is my biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is people who don't tell the truth Mm -hmm. because I am a, a walking, talking example of how screwed up, your life can be when you don't tell the truth. I think that's a good way to end it and just like tell the truth and talk about, talk about your problem, you know, talk about what you have going on. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have some problems going on, find somebody to talk to you, mm-hmm. whether it's a traditional therapist or you find a coach. Cause I feel like one, I'm in that industry, but I find that, um, it is sometimes more beneficial than even like a therapist. Mm -hmm. Well, and to not be alone. So uh, this was one of the things that I was thinking 20 minutes ago or whatever we were talking about. Um, When people start to isolate. Mm -hmm. So it's proven that um, not only is trauma the original gateway drug, but the more isolated somebody feels and the more that they isolate themselves, The door is more open towards addiction Mm -hmm. because you're trying to get because your soul is craving the root of your personhood is craving connection. And it's proven that when people who are struggling with some type of addiction, when you can reintegrate them and when you can reconnect them Mm -hmm. to a community and and not just any community, but people who genuinely care about them, who Mm want to be supportive, Mm -hmm. um, then it's so much easier for them to go into recovery because they're not doing it by themselves. And that's what I think is also really important about what's going on right now is that even though everybody right now is at home and not going to school and not going to work and and not doing any of those things, don't take that as your time to sit there in your house in the dark by yourself 
and not reaching out to other people, especially yeah. now, like the, in this day of age, we're so connected. Yeah. Absolutely. So reaching out whenever you can reach out and we can keep our social distance. The, right. <laughs> I can still talk to you from across the world. You exactly. Know, like we keep our social distance. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're out of time. I'm really glad that you're here. Thanks ah, for doing thanks this. Thanks for inviting me. Today. This is awesome. All right, you guys. My name is Stacy. This was Jason Tracy from Roar Consulting. Hoping to see my dad back next week. He's never had a bad day in his life. He's in Miami. So, he's in Miami. Yeah. He's having a great day. He's, he's, he does not care about the coronavirus at all. <laughs> I could he see Doc not, not care. caring whatsoever. He did not care. So <laughs> My wife, uh, I told you this uh, through text, but my wife and them were going way over. My wife literally was like, never had a bad day. What does that mean? Did they explain it to you? And I'm like, you got to meet Doc. I'm like, Doc is just one of those guys that like when life hands him lemons, he probably makes lemon cello. Lemon cello. <laughs> Absolutely. Every day he does. So he's probably enjoying some some, some lemonade or limoncello <laughs> on the beaches of Miami right now. We miss him. We'll look Love forward to seeing him next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye.